0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from Oxford University Press My name is George Miller and my guest today is Anthony Jay Editor of the Oxford Dictionary of Political Quotations Now published in its fourth edition under the title Lend Me Your Ears The book is a treasure trove for both the quotation hunter and also the browser Open it at random and you're sure to find something witty, engaging or thought-provoking New entrants in this edition include Sarah Palin, David Cameron and Silvio Berlusconi In all, the book contains over 300 new quotations compared to the previous edition. Its editor, Anthony Jay, has spent 50 years in the realm of government and politics as a television writer and producer, and is probably best known as the co-author of the Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister comedy series, which are among the most successful in broadcasting history. When I visited him at his home in Somerset recently I began by remarking that his style of sophisticated witty highly verbal comedy must have made him a natural choice to edit a dictionary of political quotations
1: I suppose that's right yes i mean i i i do like witty well phrased remarks, I suppose. And and, uh, and somehow it isn't, it's almost as much the way a thing is said as what is being said that makes it worthy of a place in the dictionary of quotations. There's that couplet of Pope's where he said, I think true wit is nature to advantage dressed, what's often thought, but ne'er so well expressed. And I think the dictionary is a dictionary of the really well expressed thoughts.
0: Now, the question of how wide to cast the net must have been an important one. How do you actually determine what a political quotation is?
1: It's very hard to say exactly where political quotations start and stop. I mean... One of the ones I remember was Alice in Wonderland, jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never jam today. Well, and that's not a political quotation, but actually people have used it in, as a criticism of the government's policy and it becomes political. So I think on the whole, if something is used politically, even if it wasn't essentially political, then then it's worth including and also there's father I cannot lie I chopped it down with my little axe you know it isn't a very political thing to say but because it was George Washington who said it and because it, it whether it's true or not it's a kind of illumination of his character and his honesty and integrity and all that it's worth a place but uh, if you ask me to produce just a, a simple rule as to what is included and what isn't and the answer
0: is I can't do it now, there's the, there's the question of the quotable versus the quoted. Of course, there are lots of remarks which one could quote, but unless they have in some way entered common currency, your policy has been to exclude those. Is that true, more or less?
1: It is absolutely true that it is a dictionary of quotations, not a, a commonplace book or an anthology. It's a dictionary of what people quote, what people have quoted. and uh, And in theory... Nothing is in there that isn't been quoted. I have to admit that there are one or two quotations that I thought were so good that even though I hadn't found them quoted, I thought any reader of the book would really like to use it in a quotation if only he knew about it. So there are one or two, but tiny number, and I always feel guilty when I do it, but I do it.
0: Now, it must have been very, very difficult making a selection because you generally even for quite important figures you maybe get half a dozen a dozen maybe 20 for a really important figure but it must have been terrifically difficult to boil it down to that and and there must have been some gems that you had to discard it's always
1: difficult knowing what to cut um and what to include but um on the whole i I do it very subjectively i mean it i I do use an objective i mean there are certain quotations that um are pretty fatuous in themselves, but because of the context, have to be in. Like I'm, um, uh, you know, I do not think we shall see a woman prime minister in my lifetime. Now, if I'd said that, I'd hardly expect it to get in the book. But because Margaret Thatcher said it, you know, it, it's um, it's worth its place. But there's lots of things you think. Well, this is a good quotation, but you know, is it that good? And in fact, sometimes um, they come back. I mean, there was. Uh, one remark of, about some country or something not I think it was Bismarck said not being worth the bones of one Pomeranian grenadier and that was about to be chucked out when the Bosnian Yugoslavian break-up war started and people started quoting it again so you can't know I mean it's possible things would come out and then go back again.
0: Well, I was fascinated to see the keep calm and carry on posters, the, what you say about the history of those, because if you look around now, you, you would think that that was the single most important message ever communicated in the Second World War, because you can get it in T-shirts and mugs and posters and everything. But tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yes, the uh, uh, the keep calm and carry on. It's not a terribly clever thing to say, is it? I mean, I might say it and, and nobody would quote it. And it was certainly not in the early editions, but it suddenly somebody quoted it um, as a good example of the best sort of government attitude during the war. And a lot of people newspapers journalists particularly picked it up and thought this is a rather good thing and then it then it got it on, onto mugs and t-shirts and all the rest of it and it's become one of the the classic quotations of uh, of the second world war having had no sort of currency for the first 60 years after the end of the war it's extraordinary but you know these things happen and um and you have to d- take account of them
0: there's also the um the fascinating area of misquotations um where Perhaps the kernel of something which has been said by someone is sort of picked up, and it's it's almost like it's sort of being polished by by being passed through various different hands. But it sometimes departs quite uh, radically from its from its original source.
1: There are quotations that um, that are misquoted absolutely regularly. I- Tomorrow to green fields and pastures new was something that Milton never wrote. I mean he said fresh woods, but somehow people like the green fields and it became that and there and there's other things apart from the misquotations which are quite common there's things that somebody actually never said i I think Callahan coming back from the West Indies in seventy nine and uh, the ton- was saying that you know this um if you're away from the country, you you realise things aren't as serious as people and make them out or something. And The Sun's headline was Crisis, What Crisis? And that's become a Callaghan quote, although he absolutely never said it.
0: So sometimes a misquotation can actually sum somebody up or some someone's career or attitude up better than screeds of of, of gen, genuine attributions.
1: I think that's absolutely true. I think sometimes that just a, a single quotation of a, can be a very ordinary one. I mean, Baldwin to wait and see I mean wait and see isn't exactly the most witty remark anybody's ever made or the most profound political thought but because it was typical of Baldwin the sort of unhurried well we'll wait and see about that it came to encapsulate uh, if not Baldwin himself at least uh, the public perception of Baldwin in, in the 30s
0: now, sometimes it's difficult to actually ascertain whether someone did or did not say something, and you have this this category of attributed, and there's a, there's a nice gradation of it where you've got attributed, probably apocryphal, which just sort of mm. points up the the difficulty of actually determining what someone did say, because there's such a such a vast wealth of, especially speech. I mean, in the olden days, I suppose you you, you were looking at things which were written down, but but nowadays it's there's there's all the internet, um, there's the TV, there's radio, so it is difficult to actually pin down what someone said it's getting harder
1: and harder to get the original of things when so much is comes on the internet or on radio or on television uh in and then is quoted in a different form and you've got no original to go back to and um you know, the authentication of exactly the words in which something was said is very, very difficult. Sometimes we haven't been able to do it, and sometimes you do have to say, well, we we don't know, or, you know, we attribute, we think... Because one of the things that is a factor of quotations you've got to accept is that people like to attach a quotation to a famous person, even though that person never said it, because it makes their story better. I mean, if if it's Mr. Jones down the road just said... It's not really newsworthy, but if you say Winston Churchill said, then it suddenly becomes a a, a quotation and a lot of, of the quotations that are attributed to great men were never actually said by them. And of course, there's the other one, which is the ones that are... Are written, um, by their speechwriters. I mean, this probably never happened a lot in the 19th century, so I wouldn't have thought that Lincoln or, or Lloyd George, um, were dependent on, on speechwriters, but now they're everywhere, and it's, um, and in a th- in theory you ought to credit the speechwriter but of course you don't because in the first place the, uh, nobody'd know who they were and in the second place if you look it up you always look it up under the person who said it not the person who wrote it and it wouldn't be helpful if it was under some unknown name oh.
0: do you think tony There was a golden age of political quotations from roughly the late 19th century till the the early to mid part of the 20th century, when there were were really a a whole series of of great orators who knew how to turn a phrase and really encapsulate something in a few words.
1: I've often thought about whether there was a great period of quotation, and I think I certainly feel that the present age is not a great pe- period of quotation, that it's something to do with the use of English and the profundity of political thought and all sorts of things, and the the fact is that the great quotations come from the great men, but also I think particularly the 18th century was a very good for the use of language, that there's so many really good writers and the and it went on into the 19th century i mean i was astonished when i read andrew robert's biography of lord salisbury who was prime minister in the latter half of the the 19th century um how many really beautiful remarks i mean there there were about a hundred that were better than anything anybody is saying today or has said in the last 10 years i think there were people who Who thought more profoundly about life and politics than people do nowadays when it's become a scrabble to get elected, and then what should we do when we're elected? Well, leave that till we get there. The main thing is getting there, and politics now is all professional politicians. I mean, one of the things people lament is so few politicians nowadays have actually led useful lives outside Parliament before they get elected, and they're just all caught up in the same public relations, vote for me kind of quote.
0: And and we're not going through a great age. Do you think that's partly because the great ideological battles of the past have been fought and we've moved on from them and we're we're all kind of occupying different parts of the centre ground, but the kind of Cold War kind of battles, ideological battles, no longer are vibrant and and present before us?
1: I think it's true that the that at the moment, and for some time, there hasn't been a great deal of ideological divide. The, the greatest I can think of was in the ni- early 80s between Margaret Thatcher and Michael Foote, where there you really felt here were two totally different approaches to how the country should be governed. But in fact, since then, and even a bit before then, so much was being turned up by the same public opinion polls and agencies that this was being handed to the back offices and they were all discovering that these were the things that you had to say that they all ended up trying to say the same thing because that's what the the research told them was going to get them elected and so there wasn't really much scope for an ideological divide um between them
0: and you were saying that the present age is not is not a great one for political quotes and yet the the speech makers the speech writers the politicians know that they really have to try to encapsulate their their policies their positions into as few words as possible because the media wants that so you get speeches which are sort of largely padding but there there are a few sort of dropped in phrases which they're ardently hoping will become the the quotations they get on the 10 o'clock news i think one of the things that is a characteristic of
1: of modern political quotations is the sound bites that somebody wants to write something or say something that's only going to be usable if if they're only going to use 11 seconds of the speech. It's got to be something that's that sort. But that doesn't necessarily make for wit or profundity. It just makes for something catchy. And so there's quite a lot of of, of catchy things. Occasionally, some of them gets like Tony Blair's, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. That's quite a good remark, you know, and that, that gets in and earns its place. But... Um, uh, much more of it is just the something that, that's trite but sort of seems to or people hope will catch the public mood or the sort of thing they want to hear their politicians say
0: tell me some of your own personal favorite writers i mean there are there are certain writers who who get a, a good deal of attention in this book but who who do you think are the great political phrase makers of all time
1: if i had to Pick my favourite political writers. I mean, Shakespeare comes pretty high. I mean, a lot of his remarks, quotations from the plays are terribly good, but to, the more I, I think Badgett is marvellous, Walter Badgett. Um, I think Burke is terrific. Uh, Lloyd George is very good. Jefferson comes up with some marvellous things. Gibbon has some lovely perceptions. Um, the 18th century I find very rich in really well expressed, well thought through ideas. Gladstone is curiously vapid. I mean, it's, there just isn't the stuff there. There's much more in Disraeli. Uh, I hope there would be stuff in Pitt, who was renowned in, in his day for being the most marvellous speaker, compelling, irresistible. It's terribly hard to find any really good Pitt quotations, whether it's because they weren't preserved or because somehow it was to do with his manner and charm rather than his actual phraseology. I don't know. But um, those are the ones I think I'd really pick on as, as the the ones I wouldn't miss.
0: Suppose I hear someone referring on the Today programme to the the greasy pole, climbing the greasy pole. How would I use your dictionary to find out who said that and what the what the original quotation was?
1: I think we're very careful in the dictionary to put as many key words in the in the end as we can in the index so i mean i think if you had something like i've climbed to the top of the greasy pole you just look up greasy or pole and you'd find it or else you look up disraeli and you would find out what the exact quotation actually was
0: one of the great pleasures of the book those is, is simply browsing you talk about about grazers as well as hunters and i think grazers are in for a great treat because it's so easy just to to drift and to follow little threads and then for your eye to be caught by something else and serendipity is one of is one of the great pleasures i think of a collection like this
1: I've always thought and found that the good quotation dictionary is a, a lovely thing to pick up and, and browse through. And in fact, one of the earliest decisions we had to make was whether to arrange it by subject matter or by author. Uh, and I was absolutely adamant that We arrange it by author, partly because if you arrange things by subject matter, a lot of quotations could be on three or four different subjects. I mean, you could put them under democracy, or you could put them under votes, or you could put them under opinion, whereas it's Churchill, it's Churchill. But the other thing is that, I mean, if you pick up the dictionary and you look at someone, you, oh yes, Ramsay MacDonald, yes, or, oh gosh, yes, Lloyd George, I've never really got to grips, and you look them up and you get a lovely little glimpse of them, a little portrait. Certainly, Salisbury is a marvellous example of that. I mean, you really read the Salisbury quotations, and you really have a view of Salisbury that's as good a view as you could get in a few minutes uh, from any possible source. So I I think it's it's the double thing of finding quotations unexpectedly, and getting a view of people and um, and, and a wider view than the perhaps rather narrow one that you'd had from what you'd read or read about them before.
0: Yes, yeah, so when I was browsing, I came across John Major, whom one doesn't think of as one of history's great political phrase makers. And yet those four or five quotations, you sort of brought brought back to life a whole, a whole period of British politics and, and, and touched a number of, of different chords, didn't they? Sometimes
1: it does surprise you that someone you hadn't Really rated or thought much about at all. Uh, when you suddenly see some of the things they said, you think, "Yes, that's uh, you know, it's, it's quite a good remark." And um, uh, uh, others really just—I mean, I think if you look up the Margaret Thatcher bit, that really does reaffirm your, your views of her sort of absolute um, certainties and uh, and sometimes dogmatic, but but always characteristic and true to herself and to her opinions. Churchill's quite good because you get a wider view of Churchill. You think of him as the war hero, but then you come across really self-deprecating remarks about when he 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 left the Conservatives, went to the Liberals, and then he left the Liberals and went back to um, the Conservatives again. And I think he said something like, "Well, lots of people can rat, but it takes quite a person to (laughs) re-rat." And that sort of self, you know, making mocking himself is, is. gives you another an extra dimension to the character
0: now you had to choose from your own writings too because because many of the things that you've written have entered common currency so how did you actually make a selection of your own writings from from yes minister and yes prime minister
1: it's very embarrassing because if you are, have written things yourself that you think should go in, it, it certainly when I find r- people doing that in anthologies, it makes me very angry with them. I think, oh, typical, you know, self-promotion and all the rest of it. And in a way, I'd rather leave out anything that I'd written. But partly, would that be fair on my co-author, um, who also you know, wrote it, but all, much more so, well you know there are things in in yes minister and yes prime minister that people actually want to look up what did they actually say even you know just the name sir humphrey or or the phrase yes minister you know where did it actually oh. come from so what i did I, I said to the editorial staff i don't want anything to do with this if you think there's anything that should go in you pick it you put it in and don't even let me know about it and so that's how we did it and uh, and there are still one or two things there um but uh, you know i can't help it
0: and the phrase yes minister does that come from crossland because i found it under crossland but i wondered if it it predated that or if that was the first use of it in uh, in a sort of quotation
1: i think the phrase yes minister must have been used Mm. a great many times by a great many people but we picked it out of the richard crossman diaries because he said you know that in the early stages about how he's He'd never been in government before, and he became cabinet minister. And, um, and everybody says yes minister and no minister, you know, and all the deference and, and all the rest of it. He picked it out at once. And it seemed to us, yes, that, you know, that, that actually sums up what this is about. Because, of course, the yes minister is nearly always no minister <laughs> under a different disguise.
0: Anthony J. Lend me your ears. The latest edition of the Oxford Dictionary of Political Quotations is out now in hardback. You can find out more by visiting OUP.com. That's all for this programme, but I hope you'll join me again soon for another podcast. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.